Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Usually with me, as always, is super producer extraordinaire Brandon Newman. Unfortunately, today, Brandon had some family obligations that took him away and did not allow him to be a part of this recording for the show. We obviously miss him. This, that, and the third will not be the same without him. We all know that. But got to keep the main thing the main thing. We have family come first around this podcast. And so uh, Brandon's going to take care of business on that end. In the meantime, we still have a great show for you guys today. Download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and a review. Make sure you go ahead and check out our YouTube page as well, the DraftKings YouTube channel, where you can subscribe and then go to the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab and check that out. Got the interview up with Dan Orlovsky from yesterday. A lot of great stuff in that breakdown that you guys can see, which will give you a nice look at the ESPN green room outside of the main studio where they do Sports Center and NFL Live and all that cool stuff. And I think at one point, Laura Rutledge even throws up a peace sign in the background. So little extra guests that we could have put on there, but we didn't because we operate in the honor system around here. We also have Jason Fitz, who's going to join us here, the co-host of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, one of my former co-workers, a guy I did a lot of coverage of for college football, did a lot of radio with, all that good stuff. Fitzy is going to stop by as we get ready for the tremors after the earthquake of a college football weekend we had last weekend where you had Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Nebraska, all these teams go down in dramatic fashion and see what's going to hold there and who the fourth best team in the country is right now after we get through Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia at the top of the sport. We'll also get into a little bit of what's coming up in Thursday Night Football today. We got Chiefs and Chargers, which already looks like it could be one of those Game of the Year type candidates. Even though we've got injuries on both sides, Harrison Butker, the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, ruled out for this game, as is Keenan Allen, who thankfully the hamstring injury that he suffered in week one isn't worse than it already is. MRIs on that didn't show as much damage as people had maybe feared, and so they'll be both missing this game, but still, plenty of fireworks, excited to break that down with a very feisty Jason Fitz, who is coming off the Raiders' loss to the Chargers and clearly feels some type of way about it, but... um. Before we get to that, wanted to update on two bits of housekeeping from yesterday's show and some things that went on there, some very important news regarding a couple of the major topics that we touched on yesterday. First and foremost, I got followed by Chili's on Twitter. We had a big knockdown dragout fight yesterday about chain restaurants, going to their defense, and then which ones are absolutely the best. And as someone who was raised 
on chili skillet queso and all of the majesty that comes along with that. Highest honor. I don't know what this means. Chili's, if you want to come on as a sponsor of the show, I'm happy to record podcasts live from a booth in the Chili's while I drain Diet Cokes and guzzle skillet queso like it's my job. Because in this case, it would be because you'd be a proud sponsor of the show. So just think about it, all right? We can do the Twitter flirtation thing. I'll throw you some likes every now and then. I know you guys follow a lot of people, but I can feel that this one's different. There's something special about this. Because again, remember, when people were at the gate looking to attack you, Remember who took up for you in a big-time way, in a big-time platform. That was number one. Number two, and in a far more important fashion, um, we did hear from NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and NBA Superstar LeBron James on the suspension of Phoenix Suns and Mercury owner Robert Sarver, who, remember, was suspended a year and fined $10 million, the max fine allowed under the NBA's charter. I got that wrong yesterday, by the way. Amin El Hassan, who does a great job as an NBA analyst over at Meadowlark, was on with the Levitar guys and made the correction that that is a part of the league charter that was written up by the owners and the people who were originally a part of that. That is not collectively bargained. Either way... He was fined and penalized for making racist and misogynistic remarks that could have been, and and that was how that went down. And so the updates we got, first and foremost, uh, from NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, who had a press conference and was asked about all of the factors that led into this. He said that he did not have the right to take his team away. Now, he was asked, the question asked was, And I I apologize for not knowing the name of the reporter who asked that question. But he asked Adam Silver, Adam, if any other member of the Suns organization or any one of us in the media had been accused of and then been found by a league report to have done the things that Robert Sarver had done, we'd have obviously been fired. None of us would have been here right now. And Adam Silver went into a long word vomit answer where he said... I have an author- a certain authority by virtue of this organization. That's what I exercise. I don't have the right to take away this team. I don't want to rest on that legal point. But of course, there could be a process to take away someone's team in this league. It's very involved. And I ultimately made the decision that it didn't rise to that level. But to me, the consequences are severe for Mr. Server. He went on to say, there are particular rights here to someone who owns an NBA team as opposed to someone who is an employee. And holy shit, is that the quiet thing loud? Like, yeah, of course these guys don't get treated the same as y'all. They're my boss. That's... So this is... It's interesting because normally the NBA, normally Adam Silver, are only on the receiving end of praise. This is as bare naked of the reality of how this business works as we've seen for the NBA in quite some time. And for Adam Silver to be up there stumbling over his words and trying to say this and eventually just said it without saying it. Yeah, they get treated different than you, which isn't a surprise to anyone necessarily. But I think based on the perception of this league, it certainly is. And that's where the other portion of this comes in. LeBron James tweeted yesterday and said he read through the Sarver stories a few times now. I gotta be honest, our league definitely got this wrong. I don't need to explain why y'all read the stories and decide for yourself. I said it before and I'm going to say it again. There is no place in this league for that kind of behavior. I love this league and deeply respect our leadership, but this isn't right. There isn't a place for misogyny, sexism, and racism in any workplace. Don't matter if you own the team or play for the team. We hold our league to an example of our values and this ain't it. And that's that's the part is 
we just went through a lot of this in the NFL. And one of the things I've always said is the NFL has a well-earned bad reputation when it comes to the way that it goes about handling a lot of things that happen off the field. Whether that's sexual violence, whether that's the diversity in the workplace in the NFL, all the above. The NBA is the one that a lot of people like to hold up as the example of a progressive league that's doing all the right things on this front. But again, said it yesterday, they didn't have video or audio, and so they didn't feel like going the full way. They didn't have an owner that people already wanted to push out and probably had people that were afraid that maybe they got similar things going on in their building. And we've already seen some organizations where there's an example of that. And we didn't want to have this get in the way and start to make people look elsewhere for these things. And so I think that sort of transparency is going to be interesting because there's no getting around it now. Adam Silver basically said, yeah, these guys get to play by different rules. And I didn't have enough here to go through that process of taking the team away from him. Despite the fact that there is documented five times saying the N-word, even if it was repetition, all of the allegations of misogyny and sexism in the workplace, asking women why they cry so much, excuse me, asking, asking women why they're so emotional, why they cry so much, belittling employees to the point where they cry in the workplace... It was, again, late as bare as it possibly could be that at the end of the day, the NBA is still a business run by the, like the rest in all of these leagues where there is a group of people that have an outsized amount of power and as long as those people are the ones that are controlling all of this and have the ability to control what the punishment looks like. Again, that $10 million fine, and as Amin Hassan pointed out, is set by them. They get to decide how much they get fined for an instance of impropriety like this. They get to decide how long a suspension could be up for grabs in a situation like this. And I'm sure there's a significant amount of pressure put on Adam Silver in that process. And so it was fascinating to watch. And now the thing that we're all going to keep waiting for is just what players are going to do. Because LeBron James tweeting this out is one thing, but it's not causing sponsors to drop yet. What Chris Paul does is going to be looked at. I brought up yesterday Steph Curry, who recently said, I regretted not walking off the court and protesting Donald Sterling when that happened. Steph Curry said that in an article in Rolling Stone that just came out. Are we going to hear from him now? Is this something that matters enough to where he essentially has a chance for a do-over? Now, it's not in season. There's all those differences. But there's an opportunity here where, again, unfortunately, this is put at the feet of the players. And for a league where we talk about how much power those guys have, it always seems like it does fall at their feet. And maybe that's a heavy as the head that wears the crown thing, but it it was just sort of amazing to watch how open and brazen it was. I mean, Robert Sarver came out and basically said he disagreed with the suspension, disagreed, but he's going to go along with it because... Of course, they're not going to let this thing get to court or anything crazy like that. And so this is probably where it'll sit right now because, again, to borrow from what we usually see in the NFL playbook, I'm sure the NBA's thought is we'll get this out of the way now before we start training camps or anything of the like, and we will count on the basketball starting and being swept up in football season and this not being a story by the time we get there because Robert Sarver won't be in the building for the Mercury, or for the Suns. And that's another part of this is the Mercury are the team I'm probably far more interested to see what happens because right, wrong, or indifferent, it's always been an unfair burden, but the women of the W have always paced activism in the world of sports. 
the women who lead that league are often the ones leading a lot of these social causes, even if they don't get the credit for it at the front of it that some of their male counterparts do. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. But again, I'm sure they're counting on the timing of this news, having Adam Silver go up and give an objectively uncomfortable press conference where he, you and you see there and again are reminded for Adam Silver, for Roger Goodell, they work for the people they are trying to punish. And it's incredibly uncomfortable for them, but it's why they're paid so much money to go up there and try and act like this is a process that was done in a fair and balanced and unbiased way when again, the people who are getting punished are setting the punishment. So laid bare, very clear, that was what happened yesterday as the updates in that. We'll wait and see if any more player responses trickle in or if the NBA will likely, I think, get what it wants, which is for this to go away quietly and for them to be able to say, and I saw Adam Silver saying, you know, the culture around there is already different and Robert Sarver's demonstrated some change and blah, 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 a bunch of stuff that we haven't seen any proof of and we won't see any proof of. Because again, that's the playbook for all this stuff. And that's how the game generally tends to operate when it comes to these. And with the NBA, we had what happened so long ago with Donald Sterling that stuck in our minds. And now we're seeing, no, 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 unless you make it really easy, none of the big business winning machines are going to budge any more than they have to. That is a lot. So... We're going to take a quick break. Coming up next, we're going to downshift a little bit here. We're going to get everything lighter in here. And we're going to get the high-pitched, squeaky, chew toy voice of my good friend Jason Fitz, co-host of Spain and Fitz. Again, catch him college football Saturdays. Uh, the college football show on Saturdays on ESPN Digital, as well as read, and you will hear plenty about it, a wonderful article that Fitzy is now writing for ESPN.com that will pop up on Tuesday. So take a breath. When we come back, Jason Fitz going to chop it up with us. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, Jason Fitz back on the podcast here. Jason uh, already shimmying, which is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, man? You got the uh, man, nice sports center backdrop for us. See this, this joy? This joy comes because we're reunited. I get to hang out with you. Like, feels like it's real. And also, by the way, now that I'm a very legitimate journalist with uh, an article on ESPN.com, you have to take me seriously, right? Like, I'm now, like, I'm at a level of professional. We had Bill Barnwell on Spain and Fitz uh, last night. And as we were talking to him, I was like, Bill, you know, as a fellow journalist, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting all the ammo I can out of this thing, buddy. I should have known. I had it written down that I was going to try and, you know, work in the fact that you wrote this awesome gambling article and you're going to be doing this and you're doing more writing for ESPN.com. I should have known you were just going to grab the reins and immediately shoehorn that in there. I can't even call it you know, shoehorning. You jammed it in there square peg into round hole. 
Yeah, well, every Tuesday, you know, there'll be a, a article out there ranking like the bucket of tears moments from the weekend of college football in the NFL. I'm shamelessly self-promoting here, Mike. You know, it's a I, I'm I'm as a writer now. You got it like the new media world. I got to make sure that my writing cuts through. Yeah, I, so everyone make sure you check out Jason Fitz now, the writer, in addition to Spain and Fitz and the college football show on ESPN Digital, doing everything. He just did Sports Center on Snapchat last night. Jason, for the writing part, was that something you had always wanted to do? How did that come up? Because I feel like you and I have both been similar in that we got to do a lot of stuff and do a lot of it together at ESPN, but I never, I knew you had been a songwriter. Like, obviously that's a part of your past, but I wasn't sure there was going to be a through line to sports journalism. I think you have to be careful with it, right? Like, cause in, in all seriousness, I, I do, I, I love writing songs and I love writing scripts. Like for a lot of people don't know, but when we're on these shows, like we write most of what we say, right? Like, and I enjoy going in and writing scripts and I like writing in my tone. So for me, where it came to be was uh, David Bierman's uh, the editor for chalk on ESPN.com. And he said, look, I've, I've had this idea for a long time and I think your personality is right for it. Do you want a shot at writing? And the reason it works is because we're not trying to write something that is deeply journalistic. We're trying to write something that's truly representative of how all of us feel on Saturdays and Sundays. And I think the biggest thing that's really hit me in the last year is like uh, in a serious moment is I spent so much time saying like, I don't want to be the voice of the fan. I, I, I put a lot of work into being smart. I want people to know that I know what I'm talking about and I deserve to be here. And then like that, that skin sort of shed off me in the last year. And it's like, yeah, like I am the voice of the fans. So if they're going to give me opportunities to do that on TV and radio and digital, and I can write to that too. Like, I mean, I, what other article on, on, you know, college football in the NFL related a quarterback to Oprah Winfrey? I did. So like, it's all about creativity and just being able to be myself. And they're letting me do that on the chalk side. I'm really that. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely you because it's ranked in buckets of tears. Yeah, like yeah. only oh, you that, would rank shit in buckets of tears. That, which, by the way, was my addition to this. They were like, "How do you want to do it?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, buckets of tears." I talked to a couple people today, getting the graphic design. I'm gonna have little buckets. So if your if your tweet makes in the article, I'm gonna be able to send you stickers. I'm looking to get T-shirts made. I'm gonna start monetizing this shit. Like, let's go, Mike. Bucket of tears. I get you know what? I'll get you what, what we we need. Excel at this point. Is that what we're thinking on the hoodies, Mike? I send you. A, like an XL bucket of tears hoodie? Yeah, we're probably XL right now. We've been back in the lab a little bit, lighting it up, oh, trying to get on. Uh, I, I figure if I'm going to shamelessly copy Ryan Rosillo and leaving ESPN, being bald, bearded, and white, moving to Los Angeles, I at least need to start working out again. So, Because I already had it happen once when I was driving. I was driving towards the airport on uh, the road right by my house, and a guy pulls up next to me at a stoplight. And I have like a newer Bronco and there's, a you know, I, I've gotten people that have rolled down the window and asked, how do you like it? People that are thinking about getting one type stuff. And this guy rolls down the window and he goes, are you who I think you are? And I'm like, I don't know. Who do you think I am? He's like, Rosillo. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I can't imagine how deeply hurt Ryan would be. That was all I could think about because Ryan's in legitimately great shape and I am not at this point. And so that is a real now great upside for the beard on that one because I think I've got Rosillo beat in that area. But everything else, that was a definite tough day for Ryan if he caught wind of that or his ears were burning. But here's the thing. You could have said yes and then said whatever you've ever wanted to say to anyone that ever recognized you and gotten out of jail free for it. Like, that could have been your ultimate moment to just unleash on somebody for no good reason. 
and then they would have blamed Rosillo. It could have been good therapy. Yeah, no, I'm just going to tell people I'm Jason Fitz whenever that moment finally presents itself where I want to un- unburden myself and potentially head to jail. So that's what I've got there. How uh, How's the – so you're also, in addition to being a writer now and doing that and that article coming out every Tuesday, you got the college football show with A.J. McCarron. Has he showed you his chest tattoos yet? Because when I think A.J. McCarron, in addition to thinking about one of the most painful games and memories of my life, I also think about his – unbelievably ornate chest tattoo that went viral not long after that game. No. And the funny thing is like, you know, me, mine are always out. Like there's plenty of opportunity for AJ to just sort of like, like, Hey, you know, on a tattoo compare, but we haven't really gotten to that spot yet. You know, it's a, it's, I I feel for AJ because you can uh, respect this. Like it's, it's funny. He's been two weeks with the company, right? And he spends all day on game day radio and then comes over and does my show, the college football show from 7 to 8 p.m. And then he does the wrap-up with Scooby McGezza at 11 p.m. So he's on air on Saturday from like uh, essentially noon until, you know, midnight every single day just regurgitating takes. So I'm just trying to, you know, be half as smart as Trevor Maddich because that's his co-host on radio. And, and that's, you know, there's no way I can compete with that. I haven't seen that. The, the biggest thing for AJ is like I've noticed he's got to wear a hat. Like he wants a hat whether it's backwards or forward. AJ is always wearing the hat. So I'm like, what do we, what do we, what's the lettuce situation? Like, what are we, what are we hiding up there? If he, if he's always wearing a hat, I would imagine it's trending a lot more towards <laughs> me than it is towards you. And I'm fine. <laughs> and I'm fine throwing that out there. Cause I heard AJ talking shit about Notre Dame during that broadcast. So people don't forget. It took him no time. I mean, it <laughs> took him no time. Like I even said to him, I was like, the first time I met him, I was like, you know why we're going to get along so well? Like, cause Mike's my guy. I love Mike Golub Jr. And you caused Mike tremendous pain. So I'm going to get to rub that in Mike's face all the time. And like, you expect a guy in that situation to sort of like unleash. And he was just like, yep. That's all he had said. Like, it was just one of those definitive yups. It's, it's so consistent with the Alabama players, especially of that era, because Barrett Jones was always the same way. The former, you know, Barrett Jones, I believe, is still the most decorated college offensive lineman in history as far as awards go. Played basically every position for Alabama, was on that team. And anytime it gets brought up, it's the same response. It's just sort of that silent nod because they're football robots. All they do is go out there and try and avoid the wrath of Nick Saban and whoop people's asses. So, we're just another pelt on the wall to them. It doesn't really matter. And uh, Lord knows this past weekend, everybody had their chances with that, man. It was That was as crazy a week of college football as I can remember in a while between Notre Dame, Nebraska, Wisconsin, obviously Texas A&M mixed into all of that. Like, Fitz, I'm, I know you guys spent a lot of time on that, and I know we're getting to a weekend now where – Texas A&M doesn't really get to dial, take their foot off the gas. They are one of the only, I believe, two ranked ranked matchups on Saturday this weekend. You got uh, BYU's the other one, but you have Texas A&M and Miami playing, I think, a 9 o'clock Eastern kick, which is bizarre. But a ranked ranked matchup there for a Texas A&M team that, I don't know, man, just might not have it. Like, they took a while to put it together last year. Remember that Texas A&M team, like the O-line got healthier late in the year and started to put it together around the time that they beat Bama. But now that Mike Elko has gone on defense, there's certainly that part of things because the time of possession stats were hilarious last week for App. But on offense, I just don't know if Haynes King has it in him. I I don't think he does. And this is where we got to remember, like Jimbo's not called the head football recruiter. 
Like we can talk about recruiting classes all day long. There is not a problem with the talent that's brought in because we can't talk out of both sides of our mouths. I can't sit here and say, oh, look at these recruiting classes every year. They must be cheating. They're getting such good recruits. And then not see any results on the field. I think their offensive line obviously has issues uh, that hasn't played particularly well. You can speak to that. And their quarterback has just looked disjointed, right? And so when you're sitting here watching it and you can't figure out even the identity of what they're trying to accomplish, you know how much like I feel like wins and losses don't matter as much to me as can I look at this football team and see what they're good at and what they're not good at. And and you just – you can't see A&M do anything easy right now. And that – that's glaring, dude, because like you're right. They get Miami and uh, last time I checked, Alabama spent – how long licking their chops at October 10th or whatever it is like right around like there is no no way that AM can skate by anybody. And I think the entire SEC is ready to try and hand it to him. So they've got to figure out how to get better play, quarterback play right now. But if I'm if I'm one of the many donors that's putting millions of dollars into Jimbo Fisher's pocket right now, I'm saying for what? So I think there's pressure coming. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much because I did see the article uh, out there today and I forget who wrote it detailing some of the specifics of Jimbo Fisher's contract and that thing got years added to it and is fully guaranteed. Jimmy Sexton is the only thing more dominant in college football than Nick Saban. (laughs) You you ain't wrong about that. Like Sexton's undefeated. I mean, he's getting his like whatever, 2% off of that. But, boy, it's 2% off of a lot of things he's doing really well. It's ridiculous, man. And it does present – because you're right. I I think especially with Jimbo and and the notion of his offensive background probably should make us all appreciate just how incredible Jameis Winston was even more. Like, that offense, similarly, when you talk about recruiting, I think the 2013 Florida State team – Every player on that offense ended up either starting NFL games or being an NFL draft pick. It was sort of the Alabama defense of a couple of years later, but on offense. But like you said, you got talent in a bunch of places on that roster. But I don't think you have much of an explosive receiving threat outside of Devon, uh, uh, Devon uh, I forgot how you pronounce his last name, A-Chain. Um, outside of A-Chain, and then you don't have a quarterback that can deliver it in the same ways. Like, Jameis Winston was that dude on that team, and now for all the things that we laud about Jimbo offensively, you don't see a bunch of crazy stuff schematically. They couldn't dominate anyone up front, and so App just teed off on them. App had pass rushers that were giving those dudes work, five-star fully loaded work in a way that's a bit stunning, and when you don't have the quarterback to erase a lot of those ills, now all of a sudden the equation becomes really interesting. I know they got young guys in there that might see the field at some point if this keeps going south, but I I, I don't really know how to call it this weekend with Miami because I know it hasn't necessarily been an explosive start for the Hurricanes this year either. No, but I, I love, by the way, your point on A-Chain, and, and every time he gets any open field in front of him, I mean, he can score from anywhere. I mean, what, what, 96 yards one week, 80-something yards another week, like you start looking at his ability to absolutely burn everybody, and all you keep thinking is like, what, what, what's in the chamber on him? Like, how are, how are we feeding him the ball in, in more ways? Because it doesn't seem like they have that answer. Uh, for Miami, you know, this is there's a real question when you get Mario Cristobal to come over about how long it's going to take to develop things. It, it looks, again, I don't want to say lack of identity, but Miami looked up and down. Let's say it that way on Saturday, where it just feels like Miami hasn't put it together. But I can excuse that when you've got a new coach bringing in new systems, 
bringing in a new way of doing things. Like I can, I can forgive being a little clunky there. I can't forgive that for a And M. A and M should have an advantage in continuity. So are you going to forgive it for Notre Dame? Uh, yeah. Look, uh, 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 how many times am I going to say this too? Like Marcus Freeman is so cool that so cool. you just see him and you're like, that's the guy you want to show up to your party, right? Like that's the guy that shows up. You, you, you don't have any friends in college and you got to get, you've got to find a way to get the campus to care about you. Marcus Freeman shows up at your party. That's the guy that everybody's like, Oh, he was like, he's got that factor from a million miles away. And it doesn't matter right now because my God, like, I mean, we've all heard the first Notre Dame court, uh, coach to start 0-3 if you include the bowl game. There's got to be a, a breakthrough this year. And I think you said it really smartly to me a couple of months ago when you were like, look, I think Notre Dame can be pretty good, but I think it's going to take a little time. As long as the people that surround that program understand it's going to take a little time, I think that's a reasonable take. I think what we learned is that all of the hype over Ohio State fixed their defense because look what they did to Notre Dame's offense in week one. That might be really overblown because I'm not sure that stopping Notre Dame's offense was really worth the participation award for. No offense. None taken. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's an interesting – it's an interesting way to actually get to what I, I think is now the question I'm most curious about after the first couple of weeks of college football season is even if you don't think Ohio State's defense is as good as it looked, it's definitely better than it was last year. There's a different energy yeah. there. You saw – the front seven's playing at a speed that was not existing there in 2021. So you've got Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, who I look at and say that's pretty clearly the three best teams in college football right now. Alabama looked a little bit more mortal, but we also don't get a lot of early season true road games against Power 5 teams for Nick Saban in the non-conference. So there's also some of that. It's a bit of a different location than they're used to. But if we're going to assume, and I'll, I'll I'll ask you right now, do you do you think those are the three best teams in college football right now? Yes, I think George is clearly one, and then those other two are the others. Yes. So who's the fourth now? Nah. So they haven't played anybody, and we want to make Michigan the fourth because we saw them last there last year there, and we think that they've now got the dynamic quarterback. It's going to take. I said going into the season it was going to be Clemson because we were going to see a sixteen pound lighter DJ Uyunglele come out. And look lights out. And he doesn't. I, I mean, I, I think the door is propped open for USC to come out and just yeah. kind of get their way there. But I also think that that's a wild amount of like the leap from who USC is playing to actually good football teams is, is, is there's a there's a gap there. Right. So I, I don't know that I love anybody as a number four team right now in a dominant way. Like everybody's trying to take advantage of the opportunity. But you know, even even if we look at Florida, like as good as we wanted to make Florida this great team one week and then, you know, Kentucky takes it to him the next. So I think the SEC is going to beat each other up. Nobody's going to come out of there with it. Uh, the, the best shot is for USC, but also USC is going to get to the playoff and get killed by everybody else because they're not playing anybody in the Pac-12. I'll be very interested. To me, the only game that is going to tell us much about USC is when they play Utah because they're built in places that can still make SC uncomfortable. Because right now the SC defense isn't necessarily there. The no. offense has made massive improvements. It's everything we expected from Lincoln, Lincoln Riley coming right over there. But that's going to be the one. If they can go out there and they can manage to handle Utah and what they pose as a threat on both sides of the ball – competent quarterback in Cam Rising, two really good tight ends on offense and uh, Dalton Kincaid and Brant Keithy, then you're going to learn a little bit about what that group is capable of. The one I'm interested in, and I've got their game on radio in two weekends, is Oklahoma. 
because, again, early season, we're still trying to learn all about these teams. But so far, Brent Venables, first-time head coach, has come in here, got him off 2-0. Things have looked good with Dylan Gabriel. And that's a team that I feel like in the Big 12 of this year, where we just saw Baylor have that setback against BYU, Oklahoma State is lurking and has a veteran quarterback and a defensive front that's full of dudes that have played a lot of football. Oklahoma's the one that always still has had so much top-end talent and has usually been able to control the line of scrimmage. That's waned a little bit in recent years, but if they're getting competent quarterback play again and now they get the Brent Venables defensive bump, then things could get interesting. Yeah, I actually like that call a lot. Simply, I mean, Venables gets so much benefit of the doubt for who he is defensively, but I don't want to uh, I don't want to shit on Dylan Gabriel either in what he means in this equation because having some experience at quarterback coming into there, I think matters a lot, right? And, you know, uh, there's, there is a moment where Oklahoma probably deserves some of that, especially knowing that the Big 12 is going to have, like you mentioned, o- Oklahoma State's got playmakers. So I, I, I want to give Oklahoma State some credit also. Texas did what Texas did against uh, Alabama. So the question is, is any of that, like, is Quinn Ewers really going to bring Texas to the spot where – they're elite. If that's the case, then Oklahoma actually gets enough yellow brick road in front of them to justify being in that conversation. You know, that, that's, I think, part of the equation, too. So, actually, I, I don't mind that call by you at all. I, I didn't really think Oklahoma at the top, but it makes a lot of sense. And if Brent Venables does that quickly, my God, like, there's – that's the one thing, too. I mentioned DJ Uyunglele uh, that we've slept on a little bit from Clemson not being good enough. But Clemson also lost both of their coordinators. And, like – you know, we're used to Alabama being able to restock all the time. If Venables goes to Oklahoma and absolutely crushes it, then are we going to start looking around and saying, huh, you better restock faster if you're going to be Clemson? That's a, It's an interesting line. Clemson's so strange, man, because you're right. And with Clemson, the difference was they promoted internally, where Alabama, we usually see Nick Saban go and pluck some former NFL you know, offensive coordinator or – any of the number of retread coaches that end up at the Nick Saban School of Wayward Boys and the uh, and the analyst chairs for them, it, it's just so different. And with Clemson, the same question arises about the schedule for them and what this ends up look like. Before, I thought you know after the Ohio State game, Notre Dame could be an interesting one for them. But now you're on the road against Sam Hartman's Wake Forest. You've got an NC State team coming up right after that that beat you last year. Syracuse. They get it home, but this Syracuse team seems like it might have a little more shit to them than the one we had last week. And then you've got Miami and South Carolina to finish off the year. Like All of a sudden, it starts to read a little tougher when the offense isn't something you can count on nearly as much anymore. Now, this weekend, it'll be Louisiana Tech, and all will be fine in the world. But as you start to look in that, Florida State even becomes the most October 15th against Florida State. If they are able to keep up their current trajectory with Jordan Travis and the way he's looked, I saw Roddy Jones over at the ACC Network saying there's a good argument that he's a top five quarterback in that league the way he's played so far and the talent they've got on defense. That game could get pretty spicy on the road in Tallahassee. You know, it's funny you mentioned Florida State because I I reminded Pollock hosting College Football Live a few weeks ago, like everybody's sort of meh on Florida State at different times because I think people soured on Mike Norvell who uh, it doesn't take a brilliant person to realize that Norvell probably didn't handle the transition to Florida State as well as he should have. The other side of that is that we saw what Mike Norvell did at Memphis. And I think one of his best strengths at Memphis is he built a team that one year was completely relying on running the football and was able to crush you that way. And then the next year is like, hey, 
we're going to spread it out. We're going to throw the football. And he did it that way. And then it's like, we've got different talent. Mike Norvell has proven at Memphis that he will work the talent he has to the best of his ability. I thought that would translate to Florida State. It didn't in the beginning. But I also think that the sort of the way he handled the locker room in the beginning lost so much to the people that it made it even tougher for him to turn around and create who he's going to be as a coach. They snowball any momentum. I still believe that Mike Norvell is a very good head coach at the college football level. Yeah, I, I, I believe he's a difference-making coach when the talent is equal on both sides. So, you know, I, I like that Florida State conversation a lot, actually. I, I think I feel better about Norvell and where he stands today than I did three months ago just because it feels like they're starting to put it together. Yeah, the money had him locked in there, and that was why that was never a real conversation last year when people were freaking out and they were 0-3, 0-4, and then and, and that season got off the rails quick. That team played hard as hell for him, though, man. I've said it a bunch of times. I had the game against Louisville last year where I think they went 0-3 or 0-4 for the first time since the 70s, and those dudes fought their asses off till late in that game, and those dudes were at practice really getting after it on a Friday when I got to go there and watch, and... Those are all the things that stick out when a team is still buying what this guy is selling and somehow laying it on the line, despite there not being real results to sink your teeth into. That's why week one was so big for them is even if it's an LSU team that's not quite where people wanted it to be or expected it to be down there, it's still an LSU team that you essentially played a road game on in the dome down there and managed to pull it out. And that little bit of belief can go a long, long way with that. So it's it's I think this weekend – after all the crazy last weekend, I'd imagine things calm down a little bit just because we've got fewer of those matchups. Hopefully the Sun Belt East will stop SEC Westing people for a week and just <laughs> let us rest. But uh, it's it Screw was, you, it Mike. Wild, I want man. all the Sun Belt love. Give me four teams in the playoff that are all from the Sun Belt just to make Alabama fans' heads explode. Then suddenly they'll be like, automatic bids are a must. Uh, I want to see who I want to see who App State plays this week. App State plays or App, or Troy comes to App State this week. Side of game day. Who does, game day is going to be at yep. App State this week in Boone, North Carolina. Bro, I saw those videos of what was going down in Boone after that, and what a crime. I mean, you want to talk about whatever higher power you believe in having a sick sense of humor, that those guys had to spend the night overnight in College Station because of yet another mechanical issue for a plane this season. I had the Utah-Florida game where I walked into the airport and saw the Utah players sleeping on the ground in the regional airport there. And now you got these uh, App State players who were deprived what looked like one of the more insane parties, people just wading through water, big crowds running into each other in the street. I know it gets weird on the mountain out there, but Boone looked like they were the party to be at last weekend. I'm just saying, uh, we played in 2013, the Bam Perry played uh, at App State for a big festival, and it was wild. I mean, they, that was a wild crowd. Like, I... I was telling my buddies that we're going, because you know how the game day crew sometimes is they're like, what's in Boone? Like, it's not easy to fly to. Like, first world complaints for people that work in college football. And I'm like, trust me, y'all. Get there early. You're like, go in the night before. You're going you're gonna to be glad you did. Not the next morning. You're going to be hungover. But you're going to be glad you went in the night before. Don't stay in Charlotte. Go to Boone and enjoy yourself. Ooh, that place gets it. Woo. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's going to be a party out there. We've seen if if – if it passes any predictor, especially when a lot of these group of five schools that feel like they're slighted and don't get that love, I remember when college game day went to Memphis and what Beale Street looked like there. I think App State's going to match some pretty significant uh, energy. Just to finish it off, to Georgia Southern, who ended the uh, 
era of Scott Frost at Nebraska is on the road at UAB this week. I'll be curious what the letdown looks like for any of those teams coming off that win. But uh, big-time stuff, big-time stuff. Fitzy, I do want to get to some NFL stuff with you, though, because when this podcast is released, we will have Thursday night football coming up a little bit later. And while I know you've got a bunch of good feelings right now because you'll also potentially get to watch your Las Vegas Aces – go out there and continue to steamroll their way to a WNBA championship right now. They're up 2-0 on Connecticut. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The Raiders and the AFC West situation is super interesting to me. And I saw a very salty Jason Fitz tweet last weekend when everything was going down that said, so are we all going to jump on the Giants or better than the Titans train? Or does that only apply to the Raiders and Chargers? Plenty of season <laughs> left for everyone. Relax. You're yeah, a okay. spicy little nugget, aren't you? Uh, you know what? Uh, it, it's uh, not my finest hour. No, I left that one up there and was happy about it. That was that was twofold. See, I got to I got to troll Titans fans after all the years in Nashville, like they're constantly in my menchies. And I got to tell Raiders fans to relax. I Look, I think the Chargers are the second best team in the AFC. I picked them to win the AFC West. I think they're going to win on Thursday night football, in fact. Uh, but I will say this. If you look at the pro football focus analytics, um, Justin Herbert got credited with taking away three sacks in that game against the Raiders. The, the quarterback play specifically, uh, most of anybody uh, in the NFL this week by their metrics. And in fact, if you look at the offensive line metrics for the Chargers, the Raiders ended up with the fifth best pass rush win rate week one, and they had no sacks to show for it. Justin Herbert showed everybody why. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. The Raiders played a sloppy football game and still had the ball with the chance to win with a couple of minutes left. I I mean, to me, this was one of the best teams in the AFC in the Chargers that are going to win 12 or 13 games this year, in my opinion, beating a Raiders team that's a 10-win team that needed to knock the rust off. So I think I'm, I'm still going to believe that we are underselling the Chargers and we are overselling the Chiefs. And, and as great as Travis Kelsey was last week, as awesome as Kelsey was, last time I checked, he didn't have Derwin James on him, right? Like he didn't have a great set. He had the Cardinals defense. So when Darren Waller goes off for 10 catches for 130 yards against the same Cardinals defense on Sunday, we'll all remember that the Chiefs offense does not have Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs on paper have less talent than the Chargers have. And I refuse to believe that the Chargers coaching staff will chart will cost them a second season because I, I blame it all on them last year. I think the chargers win the division and I think they beat the, the chiefs in Kansas city. 
Oh, you're going to be that crowd that the first time Brian Dable or Mike McDaniel go for two or a fourth down and don't get it, that absolutely crushes them. I mean, one of those two-point conversions could have led to a tie during the course of the season. One tie would have put the Chargers in the playoffs, remember? like, So what's better, being captain big balls on a fourth call, fourth down call on you know week four or making the playoffs? It's always better being captain big balls, always. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I would not yeah. I don't need I didn't know and I didn't need to know that nor did anyone listening to this. Do you do you think the Raiders are better than the Broncos based on what you saw Monday night? Yes. Um I think the Raiders are are, are going to be very very good this year. When you look at the three interceptions that Carr threw and I'm also going to add a fourth throw. You had Carr miss a wide open Darren Waller that would have been a touchdown. You had two interceptions that were underthrows to Devontae Adams where he was more aggressive than ever. And he had an interception to Hunter Renfro that was behind him. Uh, th- this is this is timing, right? And when you're talking about timing against one of the best defenses in the NFL, and you're also talking about a Raiders team that has a bad offensive line. I mean, it's a bad offensive line. I think the adjustment that needs to happen is Josh McDaniels needs to turn around and, uh, and, and change the play. Like Ken Dorsey did a brilliant thing for the Rams against the uh, – again, I should say for the Bills against the Rams. Shortened everything up and got the ball out of Josh Allen's hands quickly. Miraculous thought. When you got Devontae Adams, who can get open faster than anybody, why are we letting him – like we're letting Derek Carr drop back and play a game of Uno before he throws the football. I don't understand that at all. So I think that changes in the play calling. I think they knock some of the rust off. Carr gets less aggressive. And through the course of that, that's going to be enough of a transformation that puts the Raiders right back on track. I also am not going to believe that Max Crosby and Chandler Jones continue to get shut out in the sack category. Like eventually you get home enough, it will turn into sacks. They'll come in bunches. That's what happens every year with great pass rushers. Well, yeah, and it's why you mentioned pass rush win rate and pressures are much more indicative of quality rushers, those things there, because you're getting close then. Sacks can be a thing that are difficult, especially in an era now where we have so many mobile quarterbacks and guys who can get away from trouble, the way you talked about with Justin Herbert. But I don't know, man, the offensive line that you mentioned is the thing that worries me the most in that division in particular, just because now, and going back to the Chiefs, like I understand they don't have Tyreek Hill there and that you can talk about the matchup problem that Derwin James presents with Travis Kelsey. But number one coming up for Thursday night, no Keenan Allen out with a hamstring, which is a big deal for them. Mike Williams is obviously great. They obviously have a bunch of other weapons on that team. But I look at what the Chiefs have done and I always go back to, they did the hard part last year where they had to basically hockey line shift an entire O-line and then this year did a good job smartly replacing weapons and you looked at Patrick Mahomes, completions to nine different receivers in that game. It went everywhere. They're like trying to go and wrangle a beehive at this point. It's impossible to pinpoint everyone and they've got enough different types that I feel like when you've got a really capable head coach and coordinator and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. And then a Patrick Mahomes who, coming back after this year, like, remember, he was dealing with the toe a lot last year. I think still remnants of that. I remember Orlovsky talking about how some things were mechanically off with him that might have even been related to that. And I just, I worry that that guy back in that mode, if that defense regresses to what should be the mean for them, where Chris Jones and Frank Clark were basically a no-show in the postseason when you needed them the most, 
And now maybe you get a little burst of added effort with George Karloftis, who they got at the end of the first round. And then maybe those other guys start to get back on track a little bit. I just think it's scary hours for that team, man. The Chargers are going to have to prove to me they can stay healthy for an entire season because, as I heard Mina Kimes say not too long ago, that franchise is cursed. They are cursed in so many ways when it comes to the injury bug, and I want to see good things for them. But at this point, I have to believe what I've seen way too many times and wait till they prove me wrong. You're, you're not wrong about the injury bug. I think that's a huge part of it. The one thing I'd say to spreading the ball around, it's like it's a great concept, but I had this argument with Harry Douglas, our, our buddy, and I was like, Harry, when you went in, like to your when you were playing, you went in and you sat in on a defensive meeting. What did they call the guy that you absolutely couldn't stop on the other team? Harry got that Harry Douglas smile and he said, game wreckers, man, game wreckers, right? And I was like, all right, so let me ask you something. If you went into that meeting and said, hey, I'm going to give you eight really good guys or three really good guys and a game wrecker, what are you taking? And Harry just looked at me because he was taking your side on this argument. He was looking at me. He's like, I don't want to answer that. I do not want to answer that. Why? Because having a game wrecker matters. Tyreek Hill is a game wrecker. And I know that they're going to try the beehive thing, to your point. I love that analogy. I know that they're going to try and kill you with a million with death by a million cuts, right? But at some point, having Tyreek Hill is such a game changer to the way you defend the entirety of their offense. They didn't replace him with enough speed for me to feel like like at some point, a solid defense, a good defense is going to be able to play up on that that offense. I think they're going to be able to slow it down enough. Like I think the Chiefs are a nine win team this year, and that's that. There's no shame in that. But I picked them to finish third in the West, and and I. One week, it's easy after one week. Yes, I picked them to finish third in the West. I picked the Chargers. Won. Oh, you picked the Raiders to finish second, second in yeah. the West? Yeah, Chargers won. Raiders. And Mike, I'll say this, Mike, before we, before we give me barrels of shit, I'll say this. Every year I've worked at ESPN, I've been within one game of the Raiders' projected win total. You know I've been realistic. It's a 10-win team this year. It's a 10-win team. 10-win team. I understand. I understand it might be a ten-win team, but that's in a division that might send three teams to the playoffs, and you just might be the third team in that division, well, maybe even the fourth team at that division. I, no, under the Broncos, my God, their coach doesn't even know what to do when the ball's at the forty-six-yard line. Doesn't even know what to do. Nathaniel Hackett. I'm listening to Sports Talk Radio he, after Monday Night Football and Mad Dog, Fox Sports, and ESPN Radio. All three. Where all three of the shows are like, you got to fire this bum after one game. Oh, I'm not taking the Broncos oh, seriously. I mean, I don't know what makes me throw up in my mouth more. Every time Russell Wilson posts a video or the call to go for the field goal at the end of the first half, like, there's no easier team to root against right now than the Broncos. Let's just throw that out there. Sorry, L. Duncan. I will say one of those one of those old videos of Russ resurfaced doing some very cringy TikTok. And I was pretty out on the Seahawks fans booing Russ, especially in the pregame. It's one thing if you're booing when he gets out there on the first third down and you're trying to make him feel it because they were a factor in how sloppy the uh, the Broncos offense looked and all the penalties in that game. But I was p- kind of out on booing in pregame. This guy won you a Super Bowl. He's part of a lot of good years. And then I saw that video and I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe that's what y'all been dealing with for too long. <laughs> Oh, you're not wrong. I think the Broncos are, are going to be a pretty good team. I think they're the fourth best team in the division. And by the way, I think the Broncos and Raiders are both going to end up spending a lot of money for quarterbacks in their 30s that are not going to be competitive with the two quarterbacks in their same division that are in their 20s for very long. Like there is not a gap. There's a moat. There's like a whole continental ocean, like whatever you call that, 
as a writer, I should know between like between where Derek Carr and, and Russell a Wilson are. Continental Ocean. Is that like a continental breakfast? It's yeah. a cold ocean. Yeah. It's it's like a continental breakfast in the sense that you go up there and you realize there's too much of it. Like that. That's the sort of ocean that I was going for. That's a uh, th- there's that difference between where Herbert and Mahomes are and the rest of the quarterbacks in the West are. I would say Herbert, Mahomes, Allen, and the rest of the quarterbacks. Like I. I had this debate talk with Dan Orlovsky yesterday. I won't even call it a debate, but he said he's you know thinks there's like a group of eight quarterbacks that you're going to win games because of, and you're going to win playoff games because of. You know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. You throw Lamar Jackson into that mix, Joe Burrow, and a lot of those guys. But I don't know, man. Just as far as the total package, because all of those guys are impressive, and they've all got that shit to them. And Lamar Jackson's an incredible talent, but. Looking at the top three, it's that mix of a lot of those things that exist for the other guys, and then just ability that the rest of these guys can't match anymore. Like Aaron Rodgers used to be, and probably, I mean, coming off back-to-back MVPs, so he's still close, but it it just looks different when those guys are doing it right now. And for Josh Allen, it's how physical he can be on the back end. For Pat, it's all the creativity. For jo- For Justin Herbert... It's just the mechanical precision that he approaches with even when shit's breaking down, which you saw at Oregon. He wasn't doing that in college. He wasn't that good under pressure when he was at Oregon. So all of that plus the physical gifts, I feel like those three are kind of separated even from those other guys that you're going to win because of that are just in a space alien category of dudes that always Max Kellerman always say, if you know, the aliens come here and they've got the ray gun pointed, like I want to send those three dudes. This is my new quarterback exercise. I, I would you trade my dude for your dude for the next three years? And that gives you like a real idea of who that upper, like if you were the Packers today and you told the Packers that they could have Aaron Rodgers or they no, we're not attaching money. I'm just saying you can have Aaron Rodgers, You can have Josh yeah. Allen for the next three years. Who you want? I mean, if you can have, uh, in most of these quarterback rooms, go up and down. Like, even if you're the Ravens right now, if you could have Lamar Jackson, who I think is a great quarterback, or you could have Patrick Mahomes for the next three years. Like, as a Raiders fan, if I could have Derek Carr or Justin Herbert for the next three years, I'm not a total idiot. Like, I'm going to take Herbert. He's a better quarterback. But if I could take Mahomes, if I could take Allen, you know, those are all real conversations. I think that's the way you start looking at which shelf of liquor each one is. Like, there's there's only a few quarterbacks that are that level of liquor that even makes Mike Golick Jr. uncomfortable to pay the bill. There's a lot of them that I'm uncomfortable with because I'm cheap. But he, if Mike walks in and he's like, no, I can't take that, that, that's the top of the top. The interesting one to me when you phrase it like that is I still don't think at this point Cincinnati or their fan base would give up Burrow. Uh, oh! And, and he is so, like arm talent-wise, is so far below those guys. Like moxie, mobility, the edge that he brings to your team is all there. But when you compare the thing that's strapped to his shoulder, it's not even close. No, and yeah. that's the difficult part is, but he was able to come in and do this impossible thing, albeit, you know, getting, we can, I could qualify it a million different ways to why the Bengals, even being improved this year, are going to regress. But he still was able to do the thing that we always beg quarterbacks to do and that 99% of them can't do. We watched a whole class of rookie quarterbacks last year get their asses whooped in adverse situations. And this guy went into the bleeping Bengals, a franchise that is the poster for mediocrity and really apathy at the top level of that organization as far as spending to be good. And because they were at the top, they got this guy that was able to just say, nah, I'll, I'll do this by my damn self with DeMar Chase and a well-timed, really great defensive run by that team in the postseason. But 
still, he deserves a ton of credit for it, and I don't think they'd swap him. That's an interesting question. And you're right, by the way. Like, I, I even want to factor on, like, the Bengals tried to screw him up. Like, Zach Taylor in the beginning yes. was throwing the ball so much, the usage rate as he was getting murdered. Like, there's just a, a blatant irresponsibility towards the health of your quarterback for the way that they called games. But, like, it, but he survived. But it. Fitz, I don't think I don't think that changed last year. Like he got hurt year one doing that, and then he got sacked seventy times last year. Yeah, it was sheer dumb luck that kept Joe Burrow upright for that entire season. It's why you went out and spent all that money on offensive linemen, which still netted you, I think, six or seven sacks in the opening game, which. Continuity, not a lot of time on the field in the offseason, the modern NFL. There's plenty of reasons why it's going to take even an improved personnel group time in that scheme that wants to do what Joe likes, which is protect with five or six guys and drop him back and go four wide and let Jamar Chase eat and make everyone who thought about picking Panay Sula at that spot feel dumb, even though I'm not dumb, and that still was probably the right pick. I, that's the take that I have held on to so tight that I'm like, you know what? If you really put a gun to my head, I could probably still talk talk you into Panay Sewell would have been the right pick there, even as great as Jamar Chase was. If there is a, God forbid, because I love watching Joe Burrow play, if he takes one of those hits, you know, and that offensive line ends up hurting another season for a young quarterback, then that, that debate is going to start to recharge again. But the interesting thing about Burrow is this. Let's say that the Bengals write the shit and they go on a run and they get hot at the right time. And Joe Burrow suddenly goes to the Super Bowl again. How much is that worth to a quarterback that can now get a new massive contract? Like, you know, for you're, if you're sitting around and you're Lamar and you've got that MVP, you're like, hey, get on it. Get, get on it with it. The more you guys that want to go out there and force them to pay you astronomical yeah. numbers, like if you're the Rams, or sorry, if you're the Chargers this year, you go out, win the Super Bowl with Justin Herbert in a contract year where you can turn around and now redo his deal. What's that worth to you in a city where if you don't do it, you no longer have a star quarterback, which makes you even less relevant? So like two franchises that don't like to spend money are about to just get absolutely you know what it in the wallet. And it's like they're not going to have any choice. Like that's why the, the troll in me wants both of those teams to do really well as long as it's not as well as Raiders do, just so that I can watch the chaos that causes financially across the landscape for ownership groups that don't want to put that much money in escrow. God, it would be beautiful. So to so to that end, and going back to your original point, you're taking the Chargers on Thursday night football over the Chiefs, correct? Yes, I'm taking the Chargers. Uh, I think the Chiefs are favored. Last time I looked by four and a half. Uh, I like the Chargers to win this game anyway, but I particularly like them to cover. And uh, look at me being all gambling guy. And, uh, and then the other part of it is I actually kind of like the under on this game. I know it's two explosive offenses, but uh, last time I looked, it was 54 and a half. And the one thing I'd say is it's a short week. You mentioned the injuries to the Chargers, which I think are significant. I think both defenses are far better than the defenses these teams faced last week. Could be a little tough to get rhythm on a short week when you're just coming off of no reps in the preseason. Going to have two teams that play slightly sloppy, and uh, so it leads to a lower scoring game than some people think. That is my that's my bold take. So yeah, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, Chiefs four point favorite over under set at fifty four. So. Half point off, depending on what book you're using. But we recommend our book over here. And Fitz doesn't get to say otherwise because he's on our show on Heck this yeah. one. Heck that yeah. being said, Fitzy, that was one of the trends from week one. The under hit in 11 to 16 games in week one. Underdogs had a big weekend here. We got four double-digit underdogs this weekend in the NFL. The Falcons are 10.5-point dogs to the Rams. The Texans are 10-point dogs to the Broncos. 
Bears 10 points to the Packers, and the Titans 10-point dogs to the Buffalo Bills. If you got to take one of those dogs to win this weekend, which one are you going for? Uh, not the Titans. I think, uh, you know, the Titans offensive coordinator <laughs> is abysmal, by the way. Um, he was uh, – Downing was the offensive coordinator for the Raiders for one year. It was terrible then. Went on Nashville radio in 2017 and said, you do not want this guy to be your offensive coordinator. And uh, I, I continue to stand by that. Um, so I think the Titans are going to take a big step back this year. So I'm out on them. Uh, the Packers are going to make a statement against the Bears because they always make that statement against the Bears. So – that leaves me either the Falcons, who I think are better than we're giving them credit for being, and I think Marcus Mariota is going to have a pretty good year. But the Falcons are taking on a Rams team that got extra time, so I'm out on that one. That leaves me. What was the other the other uh, ten point dog? Tex- Texans getting ten against Denver. Oh, oh, I don't feel good about this, but let the Davis Mills era go. I mean, you know, th- there we go. Yeah, I'll take uh, if I got to pick one of those, I'll take the Texans uh, over Denver. Although I, I that you know sounds like I'm hating on Denver. Denver's offense put up 433 yards, turned the ball over twice inside the one yard line. They're not going to do that again. But uh, the Texans do have some players. I was surprised Damian Pierce didn't get a bigger portion of the carries out of Week One for the Texans. Yeah. Uh, I I believe in him a lot as a weapon. The Texans as an organization believe in Davis Mills. They're trying to figure out if they actually have a quarterback. So you know what the Texans were plucky against the Colts, getting out to that 20 to three lead, right? So. Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the Texans in that one if I got to pick one. I think that was the one I had circled too because I'm with you. I think as long as there's no rain in the forecast for the Bears heading to Green Bay this weekend, I think that ship gets righted a little bit because I think a lot of the issues that were masked by the Bears were just covered up by rain and slop. Uh Buffalo's just too damn good. Like that team is too much this year. I think they're going to make this deeply unfun for a lot of teams after what we saw. And I get it. Like you said, it's a Rams team that doesn't play anybody in the preseason. None of their starters go out there and do it, replacing guys along the offensive line. But the Bills went out there and made them look like the inferior team, much the same way that Kansas City did that to a much lesser talented Arizona team. But there's something to be said for going out there and just handling business like it is just that. It isn't really a thing. The Texans become interesting to me because they were able to make life difficult up front for the Colts in a way that I don't think a lot of people predicted. Them saying, yeah, the Colts had protection issues for Matt Ryan, which is not something we usually think about with that offensive line. I look at Denver, and the one thing I walked out of that game looking at, and I saw this echoed by a lot of guys, Marshall Newhouse, Jeff Schwartz, was there were a lot of holding calls that went uncalled in that game on Garrett Bowles and the Broncos tackles. And if you get one of those crews that's more in line to call that, and I haven't seen who the crew is for this game, there are some people that do a really good job of tracking. And then these are teams, too, where you'll go in a meeting at the beginning of the week and they'll say, this is the officiating crew we have. This is how many pass interference flags they throw. This is what they do relative to the league when it comes to holding. And if Denver runs into that, now all of a sudden you could have some interesting issues. For an offense that was super productive, that's got to figure out some stuff in the red zone and just stop shooting themselves in the foot, they're going to have to come out and make a pretty big statement on what they are as far as a team that won't get penalized 12 times a game, won't do all that. It should be easier at home than it was in Lumen Field or whatever the hell CenturyLink is called yeah. now. But uh, it, it's still – I think this Texans team is kind of going to be like the 2021 Lions where – They're scrappy enough to make you uncomfortable. I think the Lions of this year are just going to have the chance to get over the hump on a few more of those. I want to go back real quick to something you said about the Bills and remind everybody that the Bills not only won on Thursday night, which means they get the extra time to get ready for this game against the Titans. 
But if you go back and watch, there's a couple of all 22 plays uh, late in the Titans game uh, where the, the Giants weren't even dropping people back more than 15 yards, 10 yards from the play. Like they weren't even putting safeties in positions back there because they weren't scared of a single Titans receiver. Like, think about, we talked earlier about game records, the loss of A.J. Brown to that offense particularly. The Giants basically were like, you know, most people at ESPN gym, uh, if I'm playing basketball with them, they were leaving it wide open. And they're like, go ahead. If you want to shoot your shot, shoot your shot. And the Titans couldn't do anything about it. The, the Bills are going to, I, I think the Bills are going to send a message to remind everybody that even though the Titans were the one seed last year, that's the Bills' opportunity this year. Yeah, that's a that's a scary, scary outfit. You're absolutely right. So uh, I'm with you on that one. It's going to be interesting to see if this NFL – I said last NFL weekend was the most spiritually college football starting <laughs> off the year with as many close games and almost upsets and some actual upsets and a fucking tie. Had a little bit of everything here. I'd imagine as we go along, the first four weeks are always a bit of a cluster, but water's going to, I think, start to find its level sooner with some of these teams. It'll be good to get answers. we got the Eagles and the Vikings, which is super exciting this week, two of the better teams that people are now forced to pay attention to after week one, if you were thinking about being out on them, getting to square up. But uh, going to be an exciting weekend. Everyone this weekend, you can check out Fitz and A.J. McCarron on the college football show. You can wait around for Fitz's gambling article that's going to come out on Tuesday every week as he is now an esteemed credentialed member of the writers. Trust. Are you are there's like a writer's guild that you're a part of? I is mean, there some place you have to go where you get to now hang out with Ryan McGee on a more consistent basis because he's a legitimate journalist? I, well, I feel like there's a special lounge for me at games now, right? Like when I go in, I feel like I'm definitely – like now when I ask people for credentials, they're like, oh, he's a journalist. We must give him one. And then I walk in. And I like I'm I'm imagining a comfy robe and a little pipe of some sort. Like seems not the type of pipe I usually like, but just a little pipe of some sort and you know, a little, little little have a little like classy pipe. Yeah, they don't put weed in this one. <laughs> if they did, I would ask for credentials every week for that. That's just saving money. Dear God. <laughs> that's the per that's the perfect finish. Da 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> I like drugs. <laughs> Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, appreciate Fitzy coming by, keeping me company while Brandon is off handling some business for the day here. And with Brandon out of the seat to wrap things up, that means I have to ask myself, and again, I did this one other time, I will ask it in the third person pointed towards Brandon. I don't think that's technically the third person that way. I think I'm just asking it to a question to a person who's not technically here, but go with it. This is how I feel comfortable. Brandon, do you know what time it is? There's a fire starting in my heart, reaching a fever pitch and it's bringing me out the dark. Finally, I can see you crystal clear. Go ahead and sell me out and I'll lay your shit bare. 
See how I'll leave with every piece of you. Don't underestimate the thing that I will do. There's a fire starting in my heart. Reaching a fever pigeon is bringing me out the dark. The scars of your love remind me of us They keep me thinking that we almost had it all The scars of your love, they leave me breathless I can't help feeling it's this, that, and the third Rolling in the takes You had my takes inside of your ears and you played them to the beat. Let me tell you what, the boldest decision I've made in quite some time to think that I could do fucking Adele for this, that, and the third, but had to go out there and risk it for the biscuit. If you liked it, if you hated it, one way or another, let us know. As always, download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and tell, in this case, me, what you thought of me pinch-hitting for Brandon while he's off today. Um, let's get to this, because speaking of things I hate, dear God, Brett Favre, what in the hell is going on? If anyone had missed this, I mean, Mississippi Today has done an outstanding job covering what is now a $77 million welfare fraud case that is being investigated in the state of Mississippi that involves former NFL star quarterback Brett Favre. Now, going back in time a little bit, Brett Favre in 2020 told Mississippi Today that he had not discussed the idea with the governor of Mississippi of funneling funds to Southern Miss, the college that he attended, to build a brand new volleyball facility for his daughter who went there and was a volleyball player. Well... Text messages entered Monday into the state's ongoing civil lawsuit over the welfare scandal reveal that former Governor Phil Bryant pushed to make Brett Favre's volleyball idea a reality. The text showed that then-Governor even guided Brett Favre on how to write a funding proposal so that it would be accepted by the Mississippi Department of Human Services, even after Bryant ousted the former welfare agency director John Davis for suspected fraud. He texted, texted Nonprofit founder Nancy New, who is the other character in all of this, who is helping uh, funnel this money, New is a friend of Bryant's wife, Defra, ran a nonprofit that was in charge of spending tens of millions of flexible federal welfare dollars outside of public view. What followed was the biggest public fraud case in state history, according to the state audits, auditor's office. Nonprofit leaders had misspent at least $77 million in funds that were supposed to help the needy, forensic auditors found. Now, New is pleading guilty to 13 felony counts related to the scheme. Davis awaits trial, but Bryant and Favre, neither of them have been actually you know, uh, accused of any crime or charged with any crime in this case. But at one point, Phil Bryant, the go former governor of Mississippi, texted Nancy New in July of 2019 and said, just let Brett Favre, can we help him with his project? We should meet soon to see how I can make sure your projects are on course. It gets better because there are a bunch of text messages that were admitted as evidence in this thing, one of which was an exchange between Brett Favre and Nancy New, who again, pleading guilty to 13 counts 
of uh, of felony felony counts in this case. Brett Favre asks her because part of the agreement was in the money funneled towards this, which was. Overall, $5.5 million, which would have been the largest portion and the largest single um, donation of any of the fraudulently acquired money, there was also going to be a separate $1.1 million welfare contract that Favre received to promote the program, which was the subject of many national headlines and when he denied this, and Favre asked in a text message to Nancy New, quote, if you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? <sighs> Two things popped to mind instantly when I read all of this because it is deplorable and this is despicable behavior going on, especially when you hold that up over the light of the last two years, and especially when you consider what has been going on in Mississippi. So the first thing that popped into my mind was, I wonder how many other places where this is happening and just not on a scale to where it would be so large and so noticeable that people finally looked up and said, we have to do something about this. How many other very wealthy individuals are finding ways to take money that's supposed to go to the most needy among us who are constantly villainized for going in and using welfare money and described as lazy and all the racist tropes that go along with that. That was certainly a part of this. And if you want to speak someone, hear someone speak very eloquently on that, go check out David Dennis Jr. Uh, he is a senior writer over at Anscape. Uh, does a great job. You can hear him on uh, Debatable on ESPN. There's a clip of him talking about this. He is from Mississippi. And he brings up the other portion of this. Because the second thing I thought of was... We have been inundated, and I should we should be more inundated. Quite frankly, it's a story that probably hasn't gotten the national attention it deserves as Mississippi continues to be suffering from a water crisis. Like, that is not a thing I imagined we would be saying in 2022. But Jackson, Mississippi residents have been under a boil water advisory since July. The health department found cloudy water that could cause health issues in July. And as David Dennis Jr. talks about here, Jackson, Mississippi is a place where there are still wooden pipes in some of those spots here. There are real structural systemic issues with this place. And we have had people since July that have been out here dealing with potentially harmful drinking water in the same state where you've got a $77 million welfare fraud civil suit that's going on right now. And that part reminded me, Wright Thompson wrote a piece on the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And it is an incredibly moving piece. And if you have never read it, I encourage you. It talks a lot about the New Orleans Saints and obviously the role of that team in healing for that city and the ways that they were involved and a lot of stuff about the Benson family. But there's one part where he's driving around with someone that's particularly striking and that underscores the situation, the socioeconomic situation in New Orleans and in Louisiana, where he drove up to an incredible country club, beautiful country club in New Orleans, and there's this massive fence with material so you can't see in or out. And on one side, there's that, and on the other side, you have this portrait of complete poverty, and you have an area that has certainly dealt with crime and all this butting up right against each other. The gap between immense wealth and immense poverty is essentially the width of a fence. And that's what we have going on here, which is the gap between 
People in dire need of the most basic human need, fucking water, living in the same state where a former NFL Hall of Famer is trying to, and a part of a $77 million scheme to steal away and fraudulently use money that was supposed to go to welfare. Welfare money earmarked in the state of Mississippi. It's as shameful a headline as I can remember for a while. Brett Favre has long been out of any major spotlight, but I can't imagine there is any way he is walking anywhere near the public eye after this because it's one... I mean, this is just shame on a different level. Again, for all the things that we said. And the sad part is, and the cynic in me looks and says, this is probably happening in other ways, in other places, in amounts that just are not on this scale enough for us to trace. So... Uh, If you're not up to date on this, again, check out Mississippi Today. They have done phenomenal reporting on both the water crisis in Jackson as well as this case of fraud here that, again, it's hard not to look at those two as two, two sides of the same coin dealing with the issues that Mississippi is unfortunately suffering from. That, I I apologize, is incredibly serious and probably doesn't fit in this, that, and the third and probably should have been put in somewhere else. But, uh, I mean... How can you ignore that? How can you ignore what the hell is going on in that way with Brett Favre? Again, bare-ass naked in the text messages. If you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? That is a man who knows what he is doing is wrong and is just making sure he can cover his ass. And it's shameful. (sighs) All right. Let's get to that and talk about something a little more normal in the world of sports, especially more normal in the world of 2022 sports, which is older athletes waffling on retirement because, man, we just got done with all the Tom Brady stuff. I saw Giselle Bundchen, his wife, came out and recently talked a lot about her perspective in everything that we've seen go on with Brady's offseason, and that seems like a guy who's decidedly having not a lot of fun after his decision to come back to, I think, just spite reporters who leaked his information a little too early. Serena Williams went on Good Morning America. The same Serena Williams who was at Flushing Meadows who said in a Vogue article that she was evolving past tennis and that would be her last tournament. And then she got kind of good in that tournament. And then she started to go a little farther than maybe she and others expected in that tournament based on the recent part of her career plagued by injury, her who will be 41 later this month. All those things catching up. Went on Good Morning America and echoed a similar sentiment that we heard after her walk off at Flushing Meadows. She was asked about retirement and she said, I mean, you never know when asked if she could be persuaded to return to tennis. I've just been saying that I think Tom Brady started a really cool trend. Well, Tom Brady doesn't look like, again, from Tom Brady, what we've seen so far of that, doesn't seem as cool now. And I think if you talk to Tom Brady, he's probably not having as much fun as you would expect right now. This is all stuff that I'm sure when you're feeling good and you played good coming off that, it's very human to entertain those thoughts. And we said during the tournament, this seemed like the obvious outcome where how far was she going to have to make it in this tournament before some part of that would start to tick and go, maybe I still got this today. Like, it's a lot like me with drinking. I, it's, it's the song, I Ain't As Good As I Once Was. I can go out and tie one on with you for one night, and then everything after that's going to be hell on earth. And for Serena Williams, maybe she could pull off the Tiger Woods where she has a really strict schedule and plays such a limited amount of events that she could try and find a way to stave this off and do it comfortably. 
But again, this just seems like, hey, that was pretty thrilling and fun. And being the center of attention seems pretty thrilling and fun. And everyone turning in in massive numbers and great broadcasting looks at all this stuff probably is thrilling and fun in a way that would make me want to stay and play more too. Like deeply human. And I always say for people that are thinking about retirement, man, think long and hard because you don't get to go back and do a do-over in most cases. When you're Tom Brady and Serena Williams, you aren't most cases. I'll be stunned if we don't see her back on a tennis court. All of this from the moment she was getting ready to step foot off of the court at Flushing Meadows, it seemed like she had that wry smile that was like, hey, you know what? I kind of like the way all of this feels, including the being good at tennis part and including the coverage part. I think we're going to end up seeing her again when it's all said and done. Now, she's also said that even if she does evolve past tennis, she wants to stay close to the sport. She said it's given her so much, and I feel like there's no way that I want to be, don't want to be involved in tennis somehow in the future. I just think based on what we're hearing right now, that's probably going to be playing tennis if I had to call it at this moment. Uh, the last one in the third is really interesting. And it started Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's now part of the many former NFL pros, on the Thursday night broadcasts that are a part of Amazon. And I believe the game coming up tonight is streamed exclusively on Amazon. We talked about this with Dad a little last week. The opening game of the NFL season wasn't. But I think this is one of those that's only going to be streamed on there. And the new crew did a good job. I mean, you have Tony Gonzalez, Fitzpatrick, Richard Sherman. you got a, a bunch of really great football minds up there and really engaging personalities. But part of that is also now these guys are doing what a lot of us do. You go and do the media tour where you go on a bunch of podcasts and shows. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is one of the more entertaining roller coaster quarterbacks of my lifetime, you know, the guy who's Harvard and uh, Harvard uh, lineage and Wonderlick score we've heard about for years in the booth, was going around. And he was on the Levitard show. And we first off had the uncomfortable moment where, God love him, Stu Gotts, goes and asks a question on behalf of callers in Washington who I guess, and I had missed this, had wondered or had the rumor circulated that Ryan Fitzpatrick and an injury that he suffered, a hip injury that he suffered, was actually on a water slide accident before the season. And Ryan Fitzpatrick did not like that. And at first I was kind of surprised that he reacted like that. Ryan Fitzpatrick's kind of always lauded as the fun guy. He wore the chain in Miami with all his taco meat hanging out. He plays the real reckless abandon and all that stuff. And then I remembered that there are a few things an athlete is as prideful over and as protective of as their body and their reputation and what they did to that body and the injuries they accumulated and earned on that. Like, these guys that play that long, even a quarterback, and we mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick's style of play, they go out and do that and put their body on a line in the way that's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. My dad played nine years in the NFL, and the day he turned 50, every one of those old injuries popped back up. And it was a whole new round of surgeries. He had surgery on his shoulder, I think his knee, there was a foot procedure. All the stuff that was affecting him when he was a player popped back up and came back into the view because that's what happens when you play this gladiator sport for long enough. And even a quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, suffered a bunch of injuries that are no doubt going to affect him for a long time and are part of the reason, him playing through that and battling through that, that he got to stick around as long as he did. And we see this when guys are current players that always beef with the media and the way that they portray injury. I think this happened with one of the Baltimore Ravens running backs. It might have been J.K. Dobbins who pushed back on a report that Ian Rappaport had about the timetable of his return from injury. 
this shit matters to those guys because your body's your business in this sport. And I think we saw a little bit of that bubble up in an unexpected spot. Now, I don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't know the show, doesn't know Stu Gatz. It, it feels hard because they've been a big show for a long time, but maybe he just, he didn't know. And he saw that, and I think he defaulted to what we see from a lot of athletes, which is, no, my body is my business. And I suffered those injuries on the field to help my team, to keep my career going as long as it did. And you're not going to tie that to some weird rumor of a water slide. That being said, I'm really bummed out I don't get to find out how Ryan Fitzpatrick attacks a water slide, which is the follow-up that Dan said. Because I think it'd be fascinating. Because I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably a fucking blast at a water park. And it's a shame we were deprived of that. So, I don't fault Stu Gatz for it. He's a beautiful creature and he does what he does. But, again, athletes are weird about the body stuff. And I can understand that because of the nature of the sport. The other part of this that was interesting was... We have talked so much about Tom Brady's appearance on The Shop. And when he said, they chose that motherfucker over me. And we thought we had a concrete answer to that after everything with Dana White on the Gronk cast for the UFC 278 fight. Where Dana White talked about how he had a deal brokered for Tom Brady and Gronk to go to the Las Vegas Raiders. And then it fell apart at the end. And so we all looked at that and went, oh, clearly Derek Carr is that mother bleeper. Ryan Fitzpatrick went on Pardon My Take with Big Cat and PFT. And he talked a lot about Tom Brady in general. And he talked about how, you know, Tom Brady, he was playing, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick and the many teams that he played for, the Jets, Buffalo, talked about how in a year when he was at Buffalo in 2011, they knocked off the Patriots at the beginning of the season. Tom played bad and didn't come shake his hand. And he said that he doesn't think that Brady ever really gave him the respect that he was deserved and... So he believes that because of that, the that mother bleeper comment had to be about him. Because at the time, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. And we know all of the rumors about Sean Payton, Tom Brady, Miami, and what almost went on there before Tom Brady decided to retire and then unretire and come back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so that, combined with Ryan Fitzpatrick believing that Tom Brady isn't a guy that really respects him all that much, now apparently opens up the case again. I still think I'm leaning Carr just because of the timing of that situation, but I don't know. Now now I can't totally be certain of this. So uh, that motherfucker gate, still apparently an open case after Ryan Fitzpatrick made the media rounds here. We'll see if anyone else wants to throw their hat in the ring if Jimmy G ever decides that he is going to come out and talk about any of this and try and drop some bombshell something tells me the vibes king is going to do anything but that though and just sit there and keep cashing checks out in san fran being handsome on the left coast hard to say i blame him we appreciate all you being handsome and beautiful all the way through this podcast and hanging out with me as i tried to solo my way through this thank you to jason fitz for also helping me out for so much of this and helping carry the load if you liked it as always download subscribe rate and review gojo wherever you get your podcast leave us a five star rating leave us a review unsubscribe resubscribe tell your friends really we need all the help we can get trying to grow this thing trying to make it good go ahead and check out the DraftKings youtube channel subscribe to that go and check out the gojo with mike golick jr playlist on there all our videos are up there great clips are up there smash the thumbs up bot on them let them know we're doing a good job thanks so much enjoy thursday night football we'll talk to you tomorrow